0: Hello, my name is Hannah Reeve. I'm the founder of Nature Nurtures, where we help social entrepreneurs, passionate teachers and earliest practitioners to set up their own outdoor nurseries, forest schools and outdoor projects for children. Now, this is a most special episode for you folks. I'm really excited to share this one with you. For those of you play advocates, this is an absolute treat. One of the great pioneers in this sector, a soul sister of Bev Boss, yes, I said it would be a good one, and a wonderful voice in play advocacy, I bring to you the wonderful Susan Caruso of Sunflower Creative Arts in Florida in the US. Now, this was such a good story, with so many golden nuggets, that we have broken it down into a two-parter. So here, for your thirsty minds and ears, is part one of my chat with the great Susan Caruso. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. Tell us a bit about the very beginnings. So let's go right back to the beginning of Sunflower Creative Arts and a little bit of that journey to get there.
1: Well, it was quite a journey, I think, as most people who just kind of seem to create something out of nothing. But it really started when I was when I was a young mom like you. And I was working a very, you know, we didn't have any money. And so my friends and I connected with an import-export clothing business that they needed people to pack up, fold and pack up clothes in boxes to ship out all over the country and the world in the middle of the night. So I had a friend who would come and pick me up at 11.30 or 12 o'clock and we would go to a warehouse and we would fold and pack clothes until three or four in the morning. And we made good money, which we all really needed the money. And I remember the seed of sunflower really happening as we were driving home, one of those crazy early mornings, and our husbands were all home with the kids, sleeping, everybody was sleeping except for us. And I remember just thinking about my childhood. And at that time, I, Angelo, my oldest, was, was four, and Stephen was just born. He was you know, probably not even a year old yet. And things were just so very different back in 80, 85, 86 in the States, They were taking out, you know, when I talked to the kids in the neighborhood, they were taking out all the the art. There were no art classes. There were no music classes. There were no, there was very little recess even. They were cracking the whip and getting down to just um, all of the other stuff. So I was talking to my friend and I said, you know, I have to do something. I have to do something because music and art and nature and play, it belongs to all children. It shouldn't be just for those kids that you know are wealthy or whatever. And and you know, where I grew up in the Northeast, we had no money, and but we had all of that. I so said I just have to do something. I have to do something to make sure that more people, more children have have that in their lives. It's not fair. And so that's really kind of this the little sunflower seed <laughs> happened right then. And I started very soon after that because we were we really did need to somehow support ourselves. I started teaching in a dozen different preschools within you know forty miles of, of my house at that time, and bringing music enrichment to um, all all kinds of preschools like your nurseries. You know the, the ages could be birth up to five years old. And I played the guitar, which I'm mainly a flute player. So this is interesting. I just, I went to music school, so I did know how to play a little bit of guitar, but I, you know, taped, taped my songs to my wrist and put the the chords down and I, I would go into these preschools. And I am just, I have always been just in love with children and enamored with children and so respectful of children as, as individual beings, a lot of wonder around working with them. And so I would go in with my real personal self to these preschools, and the children were thirsting for that kind of a thing, just somebody to say, hi, hey, I missed you. I'm glad to see you again. Because some of the places that I worked, they were really sad. It was really heartbreaking. So I did that, and little by little, that that little business that I put together became how, how I was supporting myself because my marriage fell apart. I had two little boys and I was traveling all over the place to, to do that. And um, I found that I needed to settle someplace to make enough money to survive to have people come to me. And I could see that this was taking shape, this you know, interest of mine, passion, and the need in the community was so strong that little by little I found my way. I didn't know what it was gonna become, but it just I just kept sticking with that vision that everybody needs to have play, nature, and the arts in their lives, and just kept taking a step in front of step to to make that happen. And and it became a way that we could sort of survive as a little family after after my marriage fell apart. So once I I I had and my friends were very supportive. I had a group of moms that we just were were besties and through La Leche League which is a is a breastfeeding support group, I I became a, a a La Leche League leader and those were my friends and we had play groups and we were always in the parks. We would get up in the morning and just go and hang out all day long and then come back. One of the funny things is that with that kind of a group in those days we never knew when our kids were napping or they just we just put a blanket down and the kids would fall asleep and it's so different than today where american moms are oh i have to be home because i need to nap in this certain way with this and none of that was happening it was just we were just like in the wilderness we were wild moms you know like you're wild teaching and wild, all the wild things that you have we were just wild moms just out there in the forest, in the neighborhood, in the, in the area, at the beach, we have the ocean. So we have all these amazing places to be that a lot of people don't take advantage of. So I, I got the courage to keep moving forward with this vision that I and, and have it continuously take shape. So I went from teaching at a dozen different preschools to continuing to teach there and do a big summer camp in our area. I was the music director of that. And that gave me experience, more experience with music. And, and it was a nice outside program too. They had, they had a lot of things, but I did theater with the kids and did music and, and really learned a lot about child development through that experience, because I saw a whole camp full of kids from really young three, young three is on up to 16 year olds. And I'd see many, many groups of them. So there would be 10 groups of three-year-olds and 10 groups of seven-year-olds and 10 groups of nine-year-old girls. And so I really learned a lot about child development with that and a lot about what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. So then it came to be a time when I, you know, everybody wanted me to start a program. They wanted me to start a preschool program or a creative arts program. And I needed to find a place to be. So I happened to to stumble on a, a church that had a nice yard and it had, it had a good feeling about it with, you know, some good trees around it. And I thought maybe they would let me you know, run a classroom and, you know, run some classes out of that. And that ended up being a 22 year relationship where um, I, you know, came in and, and with the energy that we had and my group had um, we started a program. that was a parent cooperative Preschool or creative arts program at that point. and um, so the parents were involved. It's something that I always knew if I had my own program that I would want the parents to be involved and for the key elements to be play, nature, and the arts. And uh, it's just so much of who I am and who we all are as human beings. So we did that and I found my my mentor, the the one person, who probably has had the most influence? I have many, many guiding lights, you know, lanterns in my in my life. But probably my closest one was Bev Boss, who was a huge child advocate, a huge voice for children, and um, she had a, a, a cooperative preschool in California. And I knew a lot of what I didn't. I, I knew what I didn't want to do in my parenting. And I knew what I didn't want to do in my teaching, but I didn't have a good, clear idea of what I did want to do. And so when I first, actually, what happened is one of my friends gave me some books. Don't Move the Muffin Tin by Bev Boss. And maybe there was another one, too. And anybody that knows of Bev Boss in your your listening audience, I'd love for you to get to know her work. and, And you can get to know it through me and so many others. Sadly, she died a few years ago. But my friend gave me that book, and then one of the schools that I was teaching in said, "Hey, we need somebody to go to this workshop." It's this person, <laughs> boss or something. I was like, what? <laughs> he said, "I will go. I'm going." And I went, and she said all the things that I felt in my heart about children. She's, you know, she would say, "Stop torturing children. Throw out those, you know, mimeograph sheets." Get them outside. They need freedom. They need choice. And she put a hat on with a two paintbrushes sticking off of it. And she said, Look, you can do this. Get them outside and have them paint with this helmet with brushes on it. And I just thought, oh my gosh, this is this is it. And I I went to her after that first session that I did with her. And I just cried. I just I asked, her, "Can I hug you?" And she said, "Of course." And she just wrapped her arms around me. I, I just whispered in her ear. I said, "I think I found my soul sister." And she said, "You have, you have." And it was, you know, we were just—that was it. Then I could use her school as the model. It was the parent cooperative, all of the create the creativity, the nature, the gardening, the freedom, the choice. Um, the respect for the children and very early on I, I identified that that was like a key element to that if you didn't respect children you know if you love children is there is there love without respecting a child so we have three pillars at some point. the first one is respect for the individual and not asking a child to do anything that's not developmentally appropriate learning through hands-on experience and learning within the community And those are the things that I've learned from my own experience as a young mom and through, you know, looking outward to this whole parent cooperative world and, you know, kinder, gentler, more creative, fun, respectful way of being with children rather than the traditional preschool, which is sit still, keep your hands to yourself and be quiet. It was touching everything and moving your body and singing and asking questions so she really gave me that. And so it gave me the courage to do my own thing, move from teaching in all of those places to setting up my own program. And I was able to do that by renting space in a church um, and getting a good deal on that. And the program grew very quickly, really quickly. <laughs> so that's kind of the very roundabout way
0: that, that I started Roundabout way, via the incredible Bev boss, absolutely amazing. Uh, Bev boss it's her work is very influential for us in setting at the child kindergarten. she she I wish I had found her sooner in my life. Thankfully, I found her before I had my own children, and at the point where we were setting up kindergarten, and thank goodness, because it's honestly, if you do not know Bev Bos, please go and Google her because there is a lot of stuff on there, on the, on the internet, and there are some wonderful videos on YouTube that you can watch that take place in her program as well uh, in in California. So, so she was she was a bit of a guide for you in the sense that she. Got you to that next step, that next stage in terms of making this into a program, because you had clearly had the people asking you to do this. It was just this next step and putting that together and having that right.
1: And and it was it, it was an evolution because it's it's different. It's different in Florida, Florida and California are very two very. Opposite communities in the world, in 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 the states, definitely. So we had limitations that that Bev didn't have. I was lucky enough to go to like at least three of her good stuff for kids conferences, and to be with her and with Tom Hunter and with Jenny Chapman and and meet. I met all kinds of other people through, through those. So it was it was yeah. I was very very lucky to have that, and and she really as you know there are so many people that are out there that don't credit her so i like to talk about her as much as possible because all of us wouldn't be here in the way that we are if it weren't for her and her just incredible passion for children and to and openness to share all of that it was before pinterest before before the before youtube before all of this that boss was going around doing conferences and we brought her in on her on our for our 10th anniversary, I think. We brought her to Florida and she did a workshop for us. And I had her at my house and it was the best. <laughs> I'm
0: just, just sitting here smiling. I've just smiled throughout the entire part of your story because it's so exciting. And oh my goodness, that's just incredible. I had no idea about that part of your story.
1: Yes. Yes. So, I mean, if anybody wants to see a program that is, that is really a child of Bev Boss's program, and it it makes me sad because she never got to come to our new location where, where we are now. And, you know, the, the rocky road of all of that, of the, the times, you know, I, I've been truly totally play-based with no direct academics, a guidance method of discipline, and really, being being respectful of children for the whole time—it's we've always been play, nature, and arts-based. So, in that, in the states, at least, has gone in and out of fad, and we've just we've just persevered through the whole thing. So, we were at the at that church for 22 years, and I can speak to those kinds of relationships because we had such a long-term one. And um, we had to work hard to make it make it work. But we had outgrown that space a good 10, 15, 15 years before we were ready to, to leave and, and try to find our own home. So we built our infrastructure with a program like mine. I'm the founder and director of Sunflower Creative Arts, the nonprofit. So I did just about everything. And it was based on what I could do. So my interests were – I'm a musician primarily – so I play the flute, and I got much better at playing the guitar during all my all my troubadour <laughs> years. And I did a lot of birthday parties too. I oh did a wow! Lot of birthday parties, but my main instrument is the flute. So the flute is is what pretty much saved my life because and, and music because I, I grew up in a really tough household. You know, it was a very abusive um, household. Uh, sadly, I was the oldest of four children. And so I pretty much was the mom of my younger brothers and sisters, and uh, sister and my two brothers. So I really, you know, I had no voice. I and and that's and my passion is to give all children a voice and to give parents a voice. I had none when I was a child. I was I was all about shut up, be quiet. You know, you can't ask, you can't do this. Why would you? Who do you think you are that you could do anything? So once I. And I knew that I needed to play the flute from an early age. I heard the sound of it with Peter and the Wolf. And I just, you know, I didn't know what that was, but I wanted i wanted to play that. I wanted to be that. And so from a very early age, I would bug my parents. I, and once I found out what it was, I, I want to play the flute. I want to play the flute. I want to play the flute. Finally, I bugged them enough. In those days, in, in our elementary school, our, our primary school, a band director would come around and they brought instruments and you could rent them for a few dollars a month. And so I tried all these instruments. I was just like, I want to play the flute, the flute. So I I was able to, and I started and it was just became my voice through my whole life. So I wanted to give that to children, to, to others, to, to have the comfort and the, the confidence that's built when you play a musical instrument, because nobody can do it for you, you it, you're doing it, you're doing it or you're not doing it and it wasn't easy for me. I had to work at it, um, just like I had to really work at being a parent and study and research and talk to people. so you know I, I brought to Sunflower all of the things that I could do, and so i I did the books for a little while and turned that over to somebody really quick. <laughs> Math is not my strong point. And turn that over to actually the friend that I had that first conversation with was the first bookkeeper. And now she, this is really a beautiful little thread. So she's the one that I talked to first. She was the first bookkeeper. Her children were both in my preschool program. They were both seedlings in the preschool program. Well, actually the youngest one was. The oldest one was in my music groups. I had kids' choruses and circle a song because it's what I could do. And she now has a baby. the And so that the mother is a grandmother. So the daughter who has a baby did my Sunflower Bridge journey as a mom. And then all the grandmothers of those, of those mothers wanted to do it. And they're like my friends or some of them are. So I did a grandparents group with them that just was amazing. Really, really amazing. So there, it's kind of we we did this folding in and out and coming back home, and you know. So here they are. They're part of sunflower
0: again after all these years,
1: a lot of years.
0: So this 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 is everyone's dream, isn't it? Really, to to be able to reach into communities in this way through the generations. This is how epic your work is, and how long standing it is, and long may it continue. Because this is absolutely phenomenal. It's evolved a lot. Yeah. You know, I'm
1: sure your program has evolved a lot over the 10 years. And I think that's one of the key things is to being open to this new, all, all the new aspects that can come when, when there you see this other need open up. So we did, you know, we went through lots of iterations of all of the things and it's, it's come back to being very, very simple, very, very loose, loose parts. You know, there's, there's such a joy and such connection and bonding in our groups now. So even the schedule that we had was has shifted a lot over the years. So I would love to, you know, I love to talk to other people that have been through this kind of a journey and and share and listen to each other. And say, yeah, we tried that. Yeah, it didn't work for us either. Like for example, early on there were on, on sale there were these great Smocks, you know, these bright blue smocks. They're so cute. You know, I think there were blue ones and yellow ones, and they were on sale. So we bought a bunch of them. We had never had smocks, and it was probably in the third or fourth year or something like that. So we bought the smocks, and then we tried to get the kids to wear the smocks, and it was ridiculous. And we thought, why do we, we don't want anything to get in between the kids and the art because they didn't want to wear the smocks, and they wouldn't. It was just a ridiculous thing and you think why did we even think that but there there's a lot of that glorious successes and miserable failures that you have and of course that's how you learn and when you're doing those things in front of children and you say wow that really didn't work we tried something and what can we how can we do that different another time so it's just that continuous modeling of of how 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 do you have success?
0: How do you move forward? Mm, mm. And it, it, it's a lifelong journey, isn't it? You continue that for, for the rest of your life, I think. That's hilarious about this box. We're doing a big sort out because we're going to be moving site. So we're doing a lot of sorting and organizing and tidying. And one of the one of our team came to me with a little pile in their hands of these painting aprons and said, What do you want me to do with these? They're not even out of their plastic wrap. <laughs> <laughs> We, yes, we, we very quickly gave up with that idea because exactly it interrupted the flow and the engagement in the, in, in the art. So it was like, no, just we got those because that is what you do in a nursery or a preschool. You have aprons for paint painting. No, you do not need them. I mean, our children are outside. So they I mean, we're heading into wet season now. It's autumn, winter on the way. So it's raining a lot. They're in their waterproofs. They don't need anything else. The summer is on its way out, sadly. So all of those painty clothes that parents take home, happily now, I would say, because they had they know that that will happen. So don't turn up in your Sunday best. And it's, it's, it's wonderful. We have a wonderful free flow in terms of, of art, very much like yours. Because as I was saying before we started this conversation, Susan's work and Sunflower really inspired us from our beginnings and we've only been able to see it from afar now we have made trips over to the states but we've never got to florida it's not it's been on our destination list unfortunately but if anybody is able to get out to florida where where you at delray beach is that right delray beach is in
1: south florida so we are south of west palm of palm beach and north of Fort Lauderdale. It's a wonderful community. Delray Beach is awesome. We, we were in Boca Raton and we were, it didn't feel comfortable there because it's a different kind of a community, but Delray Beach is very creative. We were lucky enough to, to find a real home, you know, so the the, I can just very much empathize with anybody that is trying to work within a church or within a space that's not their own. And we did lots of things I mean we pretty much did change the space and we did just so many things over over the twenty two years that we were there in the church and we made it much more inviting for the children to come to the church so they their their um their youth program really grew while we were there but but you couldn't do anything you, you know I couldn't paint I couldn't we couldn't just leave chalky handprints or painty handprints everywhere because it had to be okay for Sunday, you know, we had to always clean things up and I always had somebody there was somebody that would always say, So you know, this this man who was like like the caretaker of the property. And he would say, Susan, Susan, are there your boxes in the hallway? <laughs> are you going to be removing them before Sunday service? So we always had something going on or we had like, like, you know, we were, I'm sure that, that we caused them some, some trouble sometimes, but we, we really did, we were good stewards of this space. And so for us to move into our own home, you know, I was kind of like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. I was always saying, I need a home. I, I want to go, I want to find a home. I want to find a home, home sweet home. So it took us a while, and we had some huge disappointments because there were there were other spaces that we, we almost had and that we didn't have. It's a very good thing we didn't because we were waiting for what we ended up getting, which was a, a, a house that was built in 1949, which is really old for Florida, that when I walked in the door, it's the first place ever that, that I had been in that I could hear and see and smell children just dancing and singing and it was was on property that they grew uh, grapefruit trees and there were farmers that owned and built the house before us. We were the second owners. And so I just, I was desperate to have it once I saw it. And there was room for us to have a big nature playscape. And so to move into, into Delray and to jump through all the city hoops and everything I can we can talk people through that kind of a of an experience to land in in your own home it's just i still i i think about it and i, I get tears and goosebumps and we've been here, it we're start we're in our 7th year now in our new in our home and it enabled us to when we were in the church we were not we could not be a licensed preschool so we were really hidden hidden in the back of this church and couldn't couldn't really do we did a lot of outreach at that point but we all of the dreams that we've had that we've had couldn't happen until we could be i wanted to be a licensed preschool so we could show people here we're doing it with the same licensing uh restrictions and regulations that you are we're we're doing it and it's it's working so we were able to quadruple the number of families that we could serve we were able to have you know just more programs and and just increase the size of things and i had to do that stepping into a different role i was teaching everything in the old space and i needed to train people and hire people and do all of that which is is a big step you know and and we didn't make that decision to do that lightly i um pulled you know my board president together and and you know a few few close people and said you know this is it's like now is the time to think do we want this to just kind of pair out when i'm 97 and i only i can only use one arm <laughs> do we want it to continue on and and i do want it i want it to continue on it it has it's not just me it's it's a it's a vital program in the community and by moving to, to our new home too, then we were able to kind of, I was able to get out of just the boots on the ground, doing the program that you're in that, in your 10 year spot and to, to look out and say, how do we take this out? So we started all different kinds of kinds of programs and and had the ability to invite university students in and university professors and people to come and visit the program and observe. And so we have a pretty steady flow of people coming to see what we're all about. So just to be able to turn that outward facing and do the advocacy so that more children have this and that, that we're a resource that we really stand as a resource for, for parents and for teachers and for, for the community at large and the state and the country and the world and the universe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what was the final push to get you moving? Because you must have got comfortable that 22 years. It was a couple of things.
1: It was the space. We had outgrown the space. And I think that the push really was to be able to, to have, have what we wanted what we so that we could just have the freedom, we needed the freedom. It was like you know, Sunflower. I kind of think of Sunflower as my daughter. She was in her 20s, 22. She needed to have her own place, she, she didn't need to share a place with the church anymore. And the church was getting cranky with us, you know. They were, you know, I had. This is another thing that I can speak to and you know I know so many I've listened to some of your podcasts and I just can relate to so much of what is going on to the other people that you've spoken with. So I made made a bad hire and she kind of polluted the atmosphere. There was there was I think that the church needed more money and there was just a lot of things going on. And it came to it was like we really need to get out. We really need to get our own place. And um and just so many things. We had built up our infrastructure. We were ready. We were really ready. We weren't ready financially, but we were getting there. And then we've had some wonderful angels along the way. But I think that to, to be able to meet more people, you know, to really be that, have the community impact that we wanted, um, we needed to have our own space and freedom to really be who we, who we are and not hold anything back.
0: Yeah, a huge, huge jump because, like you said, so overnight and by moving, you were able to quadruple the numbers of families that you were serving. So, I guess there was a lot of planning involved in that, and you knew that that was going to be the case. And I imagine it—it—it it, it was a fairly quick journey, or
1: well, it was interesting. The you know when first Sunflower first started twenty eight years ago it grew exponentially, but we had small programs. Um, It was just, it was, it started out as just, you know, two or three mornings a week and we were, we were utilizing the space, but I had a parent in me program and things like that. So we, it was, it was smaller programs um, but we had a lot of things going on that we could build on all of, all of those things. So we kind of knew what it might look like and we did, we planned and we dreamed, for many years, you know, what, what is it that we would want to do and how can we, how can we best serve the community? And that's, that's a hard one sometimes because sometimes you'll try things because you think that's what the community wants and they don't want it at all. And it's just a miserable failure all around. So moving into the new space, we were able to have, we were able to be a licensed preschool, which is, is really jumping through a lot of hoops and, doing. I had to get all kinds of credentials that I didn't need to have when we were just had our own little program. And we had to, we had to follow all the rules. So that took a lot of time. And that also meant that I needed to hire teachers because I needed to be in that administrative role. As much as I hate administrative roles, um, I'd much rather be with the children. And I'm, oh, I was always with the children anyway, but I had to, you know, get the right people in place. So it it took a while. Uh everybody was excited as we were building. It took us a year. You know, we we bought the property. We had an angel that gave us a private mortgage. So we it we got, you know, we bought it, but then it was a it was actually a home, so we had to renovate it and turn it into a childcare facility, an early childhood learning center. And so there were government things that we had to do and lots of building and putting in a whole new ventilation system and just all the, you know, hurricane windows, all kinds of things like that. And um, so it took a year. We, we owned it for more than a year before we were able to move in and literally the week that we were going to move in and start, you know, it was like we were at the wire with, with the regulations and the getting the, the permissions and all of the things. And so we opened in August of 2015. So and we had done a lot of promotion, had done a lot of as much as we could, had some articles written about us in the paper. And so the thing is that that what happened, it was just kind of crazy because it was like, Sunflower's here. We love you. This It's a cool thing to do. We all want to be at Sunflower. And so word on the street was, hurry up. You've got to get in because they're, they're filled up. Some of the classes are full. And it was like our parent and me classes were full because they were small. But our preschool classes were not full. The you know part of the part of the program was full, but part of it wasn't, and it was almost like we made too big of the oversplashed, and people got the message that oh you'll never get into Sunflower, so don't even try. And so we had to you know think, rethink that. So we we did this kind of small campaign, and it's always word of mouth. But we, you know, had all the more of our T-shirts and and put, you know, car decals and things like that. And little by little, got the word out. And so it, it took us the first year we were not full, and then the second year was much better, and then by the third year, we were full with a waiting list with with everything that we did.
0: That's a it's a fairly typical pattern, isn't it? That that first three years, in my experience, anyway. It's, just, it's an interesting one. Well somehow it worked because somehow this little tiny setting in Worcestershire, in the wilds of Worcestershire in the UK, <laughs> got word of sunflower. We, so we found you when you were in Booker Raton, so which would have been before you. And were. did you just find us through social media? No, I found your website somehow. I love researching and because I am a researcher, that my background is actually it might surprise people. I was a biomedical scientist. And it just so happened that I married, I met and married an early childhood teacher. So, and by that point, I was working in pediatrics. I was working in oncology research at a children's hospital. So I've worked in pediatrics, but uh, made that shift into owning a kindergarten. So uh, yeah, we all take these strange paths that lead us to these places. So, I was sitting, researching when we were setting the kindergarten up, and putting together our philosophy and i found I found some of creative arts, and was blown away because I loved the focus on community, and I hear that in your story so much because you start your story starts with community, and how can I serve my community best and it's that wonderful vision of. Being a part of a community, but also being a heart of a community because that's that is what working with children is because you're you're that important foundation that holds everything up and and supports that growth that wonderful community growth and and reactivates communities and I've seen that as well in your other extended work that you do because there are many paths from sunflower that you are taking
1: we had moved into the into the new space and we had our, our 25th anniversary soon after we were there and we had had parties and grand openings and all that. And I said, I don't want any parties and please no more parties. No, nothing. What I want is I want to, I want to start the sunflower play initiative, which is going to be our, a formalized outreach program. And I had done lots of outreach over the years. Um, just by myself. If I got some funding, then I would be able to go and do something. But I had a vision of of um, doing doing you know getting a, a build and play program that could could be that could grow within the community and and just for people to experience that kind of you know pop up adventure play thing. You know because I really followed followed Morgan and and pop up adventure play along with so many people in, in those early years, there, there was so much bubbling up and there were so many leaders to follow. So I followed I followed them and I thought, this is, this is it because of course, that's what we're, we're always in, in boxes and it's all about loose parts. So, but a lot of people just don't even get that. They think they have to buy expensive toys for their children and, and all of that stuff. And knowing that it has to be experiential, what I what I did and we had a big meeting for the twenty ce- first you know, twenty-fifth celebration and what are we gonna do? And I, I told them what I wanted to do and everybody was like, Yeah, sure. Because I wanted to do pop-up build-in plays all over the all over the city, in the library, at the park, at the beach, in front of, you know, the museum and all kinds of things like that, and just set up and have tape and boxes and chalk and fabric. And just let people have at it and set it up so it's interesting. So I got a lot of rolling of eyes. Oh, okay, Susan, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to do that? Okay. That sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> and I knew, I knew that, that 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 we needed to do that and we needed to do that outreach. And so we started doing it. I got a really good partner in Simone, uh, Simone Chin. And um, her kids were both seedlings at the time and she's passionate about that whole idea. And she's a big researcher. And so she, I've got the, you know, I'm the hands-on person and I've got the passion and I've got the energy and the drive to do anything. I'm not a researcher. I love the research. I love reading it, but I'm not going to do it. So she had all of that. She, she um, could grant writing all of that kind of thing. And so we started it and it started so small just with a bunch of junk in my, I have a picture of my car with everything stuffed in and headed off to the library. And from that very first time, we saw this is magnificent. This is what we have to do. So we did do it all over the city. We had a big community Play Day. Now and I saw the, donate- the video of
0: this. I saw the video of this community play day. It's a beautiful video that I think was donated to you. The services of it were donated to you. And again, I would urge people to go and find this. What's what's the website? Is it sunflowerplayinitiative.com or org or something? Yeah, it's
1: it's the the play, the play initiative uh, website is, is separate. You can find it by going to Sunflower but it's it's called let'sgoplay.org. Let's go play.org. Let's go play.org. And we had a we had speaker we had a speaker our first year we had Morgan Morgan Lecter become and talk about play and do a do a workshop with my staff and a luncheon and then we did we had a gigantic big big build at the at, like the town square in Delray which is just so sweet and so many many people came through and like whoa what's happening and they joined and it was just really fun and it was supposed to be an annual an annual thing so we did two. Them, and then we couldn't do it last year we're not going to be able to do it this year but yeah that's all part of the sunflower
0: play initiative fantastic amazing amazing work what made you set sunflower up as a non-profit i really wanted to to make sure that
1: as many people as possible could afford to come because uh of course i would never have been able to afford sunflower when when i was a young mom so, the best way to do that is to be a nonprofit organization. You need to have somebody who has that kind of good research brain, real detail brain to, to do, at least in the States, to do all the paperwork that's involved in that. So, being a nonprofit has enabled us to be tax exempt, first of all. So, when we buy, buy products, we don't have to pay the sales tax and owning our property we get an exemption each year so we don't have to pay property tax either, which is a huge help for us. And, and then we can offer, we can offer scholarships because we can take money, you know, donations from individuals or businesses or foundations, corporations can donate money to us and it it can be tax exempt for them. And that's the reason why they like to do it along with being good souls. (laughs) And so, but you can't do that if you're if you're a for-profit business. So we have a scholarship fund and and of course our goal in in having the the organization is to meet the needs of the community. It's not to make a profit. Of course we have to pay for our home and pay for everything and pay everybody. And we've had people think, oh, it's a nonprofit. So nobody, nobody, you don't pay anybody. You know, no, no, we have to pay everybody. Not not a lot, but but that's one thing that that we talked about just briefly in the beginning, and and it is true with nonprofits that you know it's not a way to make a lot of money. But starting from when we moved into this our space, because I was hiring people, more people, we you know, and, and now one of our goals is to is to be on the high end of the pay scale. So so we have our lowest hourly pay rate is 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 a decent amount and to, to do as much as we can to elevate the early childhood profession both as 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 models of what you can do and in within the program a totally play nature and arts space program for all of these years and how do you treat your employees so we are very much a, a family and we try to take care of our people as much as we we can And so we do, we're thinking about that all the time. How can we first meet the needs of the children and the families, but our staff as well? It's a great place to work. And I think that that's, we all have to be advocates for raising those wages for early childhood educators. It's such an important job and making sure that they have really high quality professional development so that the people who are searching this out have that available. And that's part of what we're, we're trying to do. But being a nonprofit is an important is an important is very valuable in that um, our expenses are lower and we can we can have a robust scholarship program
0: and then that big step to buy your own place can you talk us through that a little bit how did that because that's a big leap like you know you were saying you got a good deal at the church long term relationship obviously had a good lease going there so How do you make that step to go to the next bit, buying your own?
1: It was a process, and the first the first step was we dreamed really big. You know, we decided that we wanted to have our own. We wanted to have our own place. We wanted to build our own place in a forest. You know, we and so we we really thought we could do that. I had an amazing architect friend who designed it, and we thought, well, we'll be able to just be in in there's a there's a, a county park and we it's in the pines and we'll just be able to be there we'll we'll make our we'll, that's where we'll build it and we'll be there And we were very naive because we're we're thinking about it okay well it it that would probably at that time we said so maybe it'll cost 2 or 3 million of course it would cost 6 or 8 million to do that and the idea of just you know getting permission from some place that oh well, i can just we could just be here they would love having us there no it doesn't work like that especially not in the states and and so the first step was we we put together a whole campaign to sell it because we also thought people would give us lots of money because they loved us and they want us to have our own home we didn't have a broad enough we didn't have we, we learned so much from that from that big failure and i i just came across the 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 plans and it's Gorgeous, absolutely. Gorgeous. I still want to have that somewhere in a pine forest. Maybe I have to come to the UK. <laughs> yes. Maybe, maybe somebody who's listening right now say, Yes, we can do it <laughs> because I own, you know, 100, 600 acres somewhere. <laughs> um, but that failure really taught us a lot. We were naive. We thought, you know, we weren't really, we didn't have what we needed. You know, it, it was a good exercise because what we did before that time is we solidified all of the infrastructure kinds of things of who are we? And I think this is something that, that I always had the vision. I always had that mission, um, but we had to clarify it all very much. So. And so I had the younger people in my staff working to, to really clarify that, like, who are we? And it seems kind of ridiculous, but, um, but especially because I had all kinds of skills. I was doing music and I was doing theater and I was in nature. We had roots and and We just so many things, but who, who are we? What is the core of who we are? And it was all there from the beginning, but it took time for us to articulate that. And I think that anybody who's in this position, you need to take the time to articulate that for yourself and I, I fought it. I was like, oh, this is taking too long. I don't want to do this. Ah, ah, you know, I was very cranky about it. But they said, no, we have to. We have to. So, what it's, it comes down to play nature and the art and play nature and the arts. It's, it's that framework. And why play and why nature and why? So, to have all of that very clear and to have a mission statement that you can say very easily. We had a very convoluted one, but our mission statement is that sunflower. Creative Arts empowers children and their families to be confident, creative, and compassionate through play, nature, and the arts. That's our mission. Bam. You can remember it. It it says it very succinctly. It took us a long time to come up with that. And then the pillars that we have, respect for the individual, learning through hands-on experience, and learning within a community – that we can throw everything against that. So in our education and our training for staff, when we're talking to parents, when we're talking to funders, it's just right there. And it's honest and it's real and it's powerful. So each, I anybody out there who is starting a fire school or a nursery or a, a nature preschool, that's where you have to start, you know, because you, you have that that fire and that passion, but how do you articulate it to somebody else? And I just remember too, in the early years, I when I brought in a second teacher when I was just starting the very first year, and I brought in my a really good friend who had a master's in early childhood education and just knew so many things, was so wise. And she came in and she was trying to do all these structured things in the program. And I didn't want that. And I didn't know how to, I just cried. I said, no, no, I, I don't want to do, no, that's not right. That's not what I want to do. I couldn't articulate it. And I took her to a Bev Boss meet, you know, workshop, and then she came back and said, "Oh, oh, oh, okay, I get it now." So it's like those little aha moments of failing and then knowing, okay, well, this is what I need to do to have that happen. And a lot of it is really clarifying. Okay, so what? Who are you? Can you can you say who you are in a real succinct fashion? And can, can everybody understand it? And, and, you know, what are you trying to do and to start small and to know that you are going to grow and evolve a lot. And so that experience of realizing, okay, well, we're going to, we need to start planning to have our own space. Well, we'll build this magnificent thing. And then it's, that was a rude awakening, right? Oh no, we can't do that. And so then what are we going to do? So we found another property that was on a university campus And we learned a lot from that experience. It was not an ideal thing. And and in my gut, from the get-go, I didn't feel good about it. But I let everybody else say, okay, yeah, we can get this. We can do this. This will be great. And I didn't feel good about it. It ended up being a very messy messy thing. And it fell through. And it was a good thing (laughs) because then it made space for us to find where we are now. So we had two things that did not work for us at all. This is over a three or four year period. And then we really got to the point where we had to get out of the church because they had another school in there that was messing with our chi in a big way and, and really pushing us out, wanting us to get out after this long, beautiful relationship, which was sad that that it had to end cranky. But then we were it was pushed to shove. I had six women, my myself and five other women. We were the ones that that went through this whole process, each of these steps. And we wouldn't have been able to do it without, if, if one of us hadn't been there, we would not have been able to make, make these moves. So, and we were at the point where we were like, okay, if we don't find something, is it the end? You know, if, if we don't find anything, our, is sunflower not going to exist anymore? What's going to happen? And then we found our home now. And it just called to us. And saying to us, and and we made it work, and we're fighting to keep it happening, and it will. We 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 will be here for all of eternity. You
0: will, <laughs> you will. I know you will. Absolutely. I think it's su- such golden nuggets in what you've just said, and I do not underestimate the work that goes into articulating your. Why, it's your why as well, because that's underpins all your values. I think particularly for those who are the founders of particular organizations, it's huge. And be, the, the example you give with recruiting as well, like even down to that, which are fundamental, because the people you're bringing in, for those of us who've made bad hires. <laughs> We've which, which <laughs> made bad hires. <laughs> <laughs> um, but those are so being able to articulate all of these um, important values, philosophy, are so so fundamental to to making it work because you must be able to communicate that in an accurate way to others around you. Firstly, to the community so they understand who you are and what you're providing, and then also to the people that you are working with. Now, for you, Susan, hugely, I see a lot, and there, I think this says this speaks volumes. A lot of your team who end up working at sunflower are previous parents they their children have attended particular programs Mm -hmm. yes and
1: of those those five women with me that really created created all of the shifts and the changes that that got us to where we are all but you know they were yeah Alicia had two children that were seedlings. Jamie had two children that were seedlings. Dorota had two children that were seedlings. Jennifer had two children that were seedlings. And one was too old to be a seedling, but she's my, my best friend's daughter. And she moved down actually to take a managerial position. And she ended up being instrumental in in taking us through all of the, the things that we needed to do to, to get to where we are right now. And really, sadly... There's just three of us left, you know. I had to let go of my development director, um, let her go and make money some, somewhere, and the communication director left, and um, so now it's 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 just uh, and and my friend's best best friend's daughter has a fabulous income and a super duper wonderful job, not in the nonprofit world right now. So they're all doing really well, and sad that we don't have them still, but so grateful, so so grateful. And so, yeah, they all had, you know, my key people and my board, too. All of my board right now were were Sunflower
0: parents first. Amazing. And mate, yeah. This says so much about the culture that you created in, in your space as a shared space as well, that community space and a place of people to work. Because those are they sound simple. You have in your mind, will set up as a cooperative. The parents will come in, they'll work here. Those things are actually really, really hard to do and take a lot of confidence and leadership, particularly in your setting your own values and the vision for the place. Like you're talking about somebody coming in and doing some structured activities. <laughs> you've, got, you've got to figure that out very quickly because... It- it disrupts yourself and your own confidence and then you're like no this how do I explain to you that no this is not how I see it and communicating that vision as well so how did you find those parents in the sense that how did you pick those parents to take with you those five into this next stage of the journey?
1: So they just were they they were part of the executive staff and As we grew and we needed, you know, a communication director, we needed, we needed social media, the things that I couldn't do that I needed to bring people on board for, they either volunteered, a lot of times they volunteered to do it, or then I had some paying positions. So the thing is that it was it was a very natural evolution. Right now, out of the teachers that I have, I have probably it's just let me see, it's only a few that were Former seedlings, parents. I think that it's it's just two. So the thing is, how do you how do you find those people? And and for those of us who have such a specific and really kind of radically alternative view of what education should be, um, you have to find your people. You have to find your tribe. And and what I do is I put a big filter on on the people that come in, even if you even to apply for my seedlings preschool, you have to do a, an introduction to seedlings meeting with me, which I am viewing people. So I'm I'm doing a zoom meeting with them or in person, of course, when we can do that. And so I'm seeing, you know, is this a good fit? And, and I talk about all the different kinds of programs and that, you know, we're looking to see if this is a good fit for you and your family. And before I put that, that meeting into the, into the mix i had all different kinds of people and then you'd have p- people in the program that they didn't really understand they could nod and and act like they but they didn't really get it and so that was not good and so for for my when i hire somebody for any position and i have hired an administrators that were never seedlings or not you know i do just it's it's a very detailed and and and, and grueling hiring process I had one of my teachers was a lawyer and she went back to school to get an early childhood degree and after I you know I was hiring her to come in that first year when we moved and she said I have never had a more grueling hiring process it it was like I was interviewing to be part of the secret service or something you know so I'm really I've got it down now and it's a lot of it is that you have to trust your instinct, you know? So there are a lot of steps. I could do a course on this. So, and the most important thing is for them to come and visit when you have children around. And this is the biggest test for them. So I do just a little walking interview, like a first, let me show you, let me give you a tour and we'll just say hi and stuff like that. And then I walk out into the space with that person. And if a child doesn't come over and go, hi, you know, or or if that person doesn't smile at a child or or want to, to reach out to them, they could be, you know, have a master's degree from Columbia in early childhood education. If they didn't have that connection, I wouldn't hire them, you know. So that's like that. That's the key thing. And that's a big filter. We can filter a lot of people out like that. But of course, you know, you you get a sense of who people are. But it's, very, it's not hiring because of the degree or the credentials. It's hiring for what they bring to the table and what they're, they're just certain things. And in my job description, I have it. And they have to, they have, to have these qualities. And, and I make it funny, too. You know? And now our program is, it is, we're, we're a nature preschool. Kids only come inside to go to the bathroom. We have this whole inside. We have our nature playscape and our big outdoor classroom. And I wish it was bigger. I wish I had five acres with chickens and everything, but they love it. And the kids did not even, never even ask to come in. It takes certain kinds of people that are like, yeah, I'm into this. And it's, I'm finally at the point where people don't complain if the kids come home mucky or or dirty or loads of sand in their shoes. You know, I I just tell them, (laughs) yep, that's what it's going to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely, we might wrap a
1: towel around them
0: <laughs> <laughs> Susan we're gonna to have to have you back because there's so mu- and there's so many more questions and so much value in what you're saying oh, I
1: love I would love to spend more time with you and and really I, I just adore the work that you're doing yeah. you know, so yeah, so much
0: for sure thank you
1: I enjoyed every minute and hopefully we can do it again soon
0: we're gonna pick up again so we'll be back thank you
1: All right. Thank you for finding us all those years ago. And it's been a pleasure, (laughs) a huge pleasure. Thank you.